Very good. Very good. Awesome. Well, anyway, once you grab your Bible, we're going to look at it in a minute and uh, grab a notebook. But um, how many people are enjoying December already? They call it the silly season, um, and I don't know if that's an encouragement to be silly or it just happens to be silly, but no doubt some of us are already feeling that wonderful mix of, of, of excitement, joy, and stress that is December. And I was thinking about December. It would be easier, wouldn't it, to get the end of the year things finished, right, those of us who are working. It would be easier to get all the end of the year things finished if we weren't already celebrating the end of the year. Uh, the, the fact that we're already celebrating makes it quite hard to get projects finished. Uh, how many people know what I'm talking about? Uh, and, uh, you know, this morning I know there's a number of families away at Christmas uh, extravaganzas, etc. Um, and, you know, also, the, you know, no doubt in the back of your mind you've got a list of things you need to do between now and the and Christmas, you might need to plan a holiday. Uh, you might need to organize presents. How many people have already bought all of the Christmas presents you need to buy? You've already bought them all. Brilliant. Awesome. Well, we're very organized as a congregation. <laughs> yeah, there are, uh, How many people are generally uh, December 24 is like shopping day? How many people do it like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not always the best way to get presents. It's also not always the most cost effective. Have you found that? Uh, you know, it's a funny thing because December we're really busy and then uh, you know, as, as people and our jobs and families and things like that. But then church, we've got extra things as well. We've got a Christmas show. The kids are doing a Christmas show on the 20th. And we've got big end of year vision night tomorrow night that we all need to be at. Uh, to celebrate the end of the year. And then we've got uh, Christmas Eve service that John is preaching at. Do you know, um, every year, the last few years, Christmas Eve has been our biggest service in December. Uh, which is pretty cool, isn't it? It's because it's an opportunity to bring friends and family. But this morning, I want you just to sit back a little bit and just relax out of your December. And imagine, just remind yourself, you don't need to do anything right now. You just need to sit back and think. And I want us to think about some things about what things really mean. Is that all right? I want to ask the question this morning. I want to ask the question, talk about the question, uh, what is in a name? What's in a name? Have you heard that question? What's in a name? It's, I think it's a reference to Shakespeare. Does Shakespeare say something along the lines of a rose by any other name? Would something smell as sweet? No Shakespeareans in the house? Anyhow, let's move on. Isaiah chapter 7, who is not Shakespeare, although in the Book of Mormon, uh, some of the prophets do quote Shakespeare. But anyhow, in the Bible, they don't. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Have you got that? If you've got your Bible, turn to that. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this. We'll wait for Alistair to find it. Have you ever stood in chewing gum in your, in your new shoes and then stood in a stone after that? Yeah, it's a great combination. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this. All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The reason that God's a bit angry in this, the Lord, Lord himself is going to give you a sign is because the king was told to ask for a sign. He refused. He didn't even want to hear from God, but God says, well, I'm going to show you something. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, what's in a name? Emmanuel. Everyone say Emmanuel. Verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Now, this is the Christmas story. Now, we're jumping to a thousand years ahead in history, and this is how Jesus the Messiah was born, verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man, 
and he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was just conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, which is Isaiah, we just read. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Everyone say, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have sexual relationships with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Emmanuel. That's our word for the day, Emmanuel. What's in the name is the question that we're asking. What's in the name? Well, as a matter of fact, when it comes to ancient Hebrew names, <laughs> there's a lot in the name, right? When it comes to names like Jordan, it's an ancient Hebrew name. There's a lot in a name like Jordan. So people, my, uh, you know, uh, my surname is Smith, which basically means not lazy. All other surnames are lazy, right? So Smith were people who made things and did things, built things. Other names are things like Marwani, which means... So he doesn't even know if that's the thing. But anyway, my surname is my surname means means just Smith. So if someone someone in my one, there was at least one hardworking person somewhere in my family history, right? Uh, but my first name is a Hebrew, ancient Hebrew name, and it means something along the lines of to descend, the flowing down, right? So it's a, an interesting sort of word. But Emmanuel is an even bigger ancient Hebrew word, and Isaiah should know. Isaiah had a couple of I think very well named sons. Now, you know, if you are pregnant, here's a couple of names to consider. Is that all right? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, we meet Isaiah's oldest son who was on an errand with his dad. And I'm assuming he was on an errand with his dad because he couldn't go to school because his name was Shahir Jashub, which translated means a, rem a remnant will remain. Right, So it's, it's actually a very weird name that Isaiah gave his son. Now, it sounds weird to us because of the translation or because it's a foreign language, but the, even the translation in the time was a strange thing to name a child. A remnant will remain. And, and, and later on in chapter 8, we meet Isaiah's second son, who's inconceivably is called Mahashahala Hashbaz. I'll say that again for you. Maha hyphen. Shahala hyphen hash hyphen buzz. Yeah, you just go with Baz, wouldn't you? How you doing, Baz? All right. Which, which being interpreted though means hasten the spoil, bring on the booty. <laughs> so we think we could make fun of his name in just in the foreign language, but in reality, Isaiah named his sons these ridiculous names, right? But in the middle is this word, this new name that this is a name he introduces. It's actually not even a name, it's a construction of a bunch of Hebrew words that he's pulled together. In the name itself, he's creating a whole new concept. The virgin will conceive a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel. The, some, some scholars believe that, that Isaiah actually had a son in her whom he actually called Emmanuel as well. And Emmanuel being translated doesn't mean what the New Living Translation translated it to be. In fact, the New Living Translation translates it wrong. But this is the thing about Isaiah, these names, right? 
These aren't just names that are given. And the name Emmanuel is not just a name that's given. Shahar, Shahir Jashoj is not a name that's given. Maha, Maha Shahala Hashbaz, that's not a name you give to someone lightly, right? But this is what Isaiah says, Isaiah 8, 18. He's describing his family. He says, here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me, you know. Jahar Shahoz, Maha Shahala Hashbaz, Emmanuel, which are all just sentences, right? And this is what he says, we are, we are signs and wonders in Israel sent from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. See, what's in a name? See, he hasn't just named his, his son something. His, his sons are a prophetic sign. They're a prophetic symbol. They're pointing towards something. And this, this name, Emmanuel, this, that, that Isaiah invents prophetically or God invents in Isaiah's prophecy is pointing to something that's bigger than just the name. What's in a name? Well, what's more than what we thought five minutes ago, right? Emmanuel is often translated God with us or God is with us. Us, but strangely, in Hebrew, it makes a big difference whether you add the is. Hebrew is not like English, particularly ancient Hebrew is not like English. And, and we would say, if God was with us, we would say, God is with us, wouldn't we? But in Hebrew, you can say, God with us, or and it means a very different thing than if you were to say, God is with us. In fact, let's do it correctly. They don't put the words in that order. Emmanuel doesn't mean God with us. It means with us, God. With us, God. It's just, that's, he's just pulled three words together. With us, God. Emmanuel. With us, God. El is the, construct, the shrinking down of Elohim. With us, God. We would say, with us is God. Now, but for an ancient Hebrew speaker, let's, let's, let me explain. Can I explain? Let me explain. If you were to say, if an ancient Hebrew speaker, let's say I'm visiting Pati and we're just sitting around chatting, and I was to say, we're sitting on the deck, and I was to point out Pati's dog in the yard. So they say Pati's got a dog in the yard, and I point out Pati's dog. If I was to say, with us, dog... I would be referring to a dog that was just there. With us, dog. That's a dog sitting on the porch, or maybe that's a dog just standing next to its owner. That's a dog lying in the sun. With us, dog. If though, if I was at Pudgy's house and I was to say, with us is dog, the is means there's something that the dog is doing. The dog isn't just there. The dog is being doggish. So if I was to say with us is dog, I'm talking about a dog that's barking or a dog that's running around or a dog that's fetching a ball or a dog that's weighing on someone's leg, right? I'm talking with us is dog. The is makes a big difference. When Isaiah talks about Emmanuel, with us God, he's talking about a God who's just there, even though he's not necessarily doing things that make him look like God. Can you understand that this concept, Emmanuel, is a new concept Isaiah introduces prophetically, talking, speaking ahead to the time of Christ when this baby would be born and he would be with us, even though he didn't look like he was God, he was with us God. If you think about Jesus, the baby in the manger, if you think about the name Jesus, the prophecy was, uh, the virgin will conceive a son and she shall call him Emmanuel. And we know that's what Mary called Jesus. That's what she thought of as Jesus. But what did Joseph call Jesus? Well, the angel told Joseph, call him Jesus. 
Funny enough, Jesus was in the first century the single most common name for boys. It's the same name as Joseph. No, it's not. It's the same name as Joshua. Saves, savior of Israel, Joshua. Because they were under Roman occupation, everyone was calling their kids, save Israel. It's the most common name possible. Why? Because he's Emmanuel, he can take Jesus as a name. Same name as most of the neighbors got. Because he's God who's with us, even though he's not necessarily barking, God with us or with us. God, not everyone can imagine a God who's just with us. Most people would far, far rather a God, a God who is God, who is with us, who is knocking down walls, who is, who is parting the Red Sea, who is making miracles happen. But at Christmas time, it's an opportunity to focus and draw, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to draw our attention to a God who doesn't just be with us to be God. He's with us in personality. He's with us in relationship. So what's in a name? The first thing I want to point out to you, that in this name, Emmanuel, the first thing we see in this name is a moment of revelation. Revelation is one of those words in the Bible that we use in church all the time that I think we don't really understand. Sometimes we use the word revelation and we add some sort of mystical thing to it. I had this great revelation. Or, or we think about people who speak, maybe they're preachers or people who prophesy, who prophesy with great new revelations. People might read, write books that are filled with revelation. Do you know what I mean? And it's a little bit influenced by Eastern religion and Eastern thought where, where special holy people would see, would see visions and dreams and, new, and have new ideas that then it was their responsibility to in, introduce to the world. But the biblical concept revelation, the word translated is just simply revealed or unveiled. The reality of revelation in terms of how God thinks about it, how Scripture talks about it, when something is revealed, is something has always existed, has always been, it's always there, it's always been a reality, but for some, some way or other, it's suddenly we can see it. So I always think about it like, a, like an architect's model where, the, where, they, where they pull the, the cover off the, the model to reveal you know, the brand new Westfield shopping mall. And everyone's like, oh, uh, you know, the other yesterday I was looking for my car keys. This is an example of revelation. I was looking for my car keys. I only have a single key. It doesn't fit on my key ring. It gets lost every, basically, whenever I put it anywhere, it's now lost. Um, I was looking for the car key. Do you know, I knew that the car key existed. Not by revelation, but by past experience. I knew that the car key existed. I knew that I didn't have to somehow bring it down out of heaven. I didn't, need, I didn't need to drum it all up in my own spiritual power. I knew that the car key existed, and I had a general idea where it was based on my previous experience. I remembered where I had sort of left it. I saw, I found my wallet, and they're usually not too far apart. They're usually actually in the same room, or if not the same room, the same end of the house, right? Our, our youngest child has just grown out of the pick things up, take things, take things somewhere, leave them somewhere st stage of life. I know Patti has two doing that. Uh, the reality is when you have two kids who are just hiding stuff all around the house all the time, you really have no hope. But, um, but now, now it's just, it's all come back to it's just, I don't know where I put things, right? I've got no one else to blame. But anyway, I was looking, 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 and as I, as I grabbed some loose clothing that was scattered around the room, I was, I was starting to get just slightly panicky, and I sort of threw, uh, you know, a shirt across the room, and the car keys came flying out, the car keys came flying out, hit the wall, and suddenly they were revealed, 
But where had they been all the time? They had been there all along. See, when we think about Emmanuel, the thing I want to impress upon you, that you need a greater revelation of this God who is with us, this God with us, this with us God. You need a greater revelation. You don't need to necessarily go looking, but you do. But first of all, it starts with revelation. See, so often people talk about how they went and found God, but the reality is that God finds us first and puts faith in our heart. He does something inside of us that then draws us towards Him. In Hebrews 11.6, it's, it's said like this, it's impossible to please God without faith. So faith is the first thing that happens. Faith is a gift from God. The, the, the thing that drew us to, to start searching for God in the first place or allowed us to open our heart to God in the first place was faith. And that was a gift from God, right? It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe, must first of all believe that God exists. This is why if you don't believe that God exists, you, you won't find God. Just the same as if I didn't believe that khakis existed. I would never have found my khakis. And it actually wouldn't have mattered how far I'd looked, I would never have found them, right? Because even though they exist, it took me to get a bit frantic. I know the khakis are in this room somewhere. It took me to get that frantic to fling the t-shirt, right? Otherwise, I would look everywhere and would I see them? No, and that's exactly the same how Revelation works. People look everywhere for God, but because they don't believe in God, they never see Him. I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about people, You don't see God in your circumstances sometimes because you don't allow faith to grow. You haven't received that faith. You need revelation to see God. Not just non-Christians, Christians too. We need revelation to see God. I love that song. Ever our hearts will seek Jesus in everything. It's a a song about trials. It's a song about struggle that says, if all of my life I want my heart to be a heart that seeks God in circumstance. That's a revelation heart that says, whatever's going on, I've got a heart of faith that seeks God in every circumstance, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I better finish the verse. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and not just that He exists, but that He also rewards those who seek after him. We've got to believe in that sort of God. Amen? Emmanuel is a moment of revelation. It's a moment where we can't see God necessarily because we can't see God doing his God-like things. You don't need revelation when the miracles just happen because God's, there you go, there's a miracle. But we do need a revelation. We need gifts of faith to see God moving even when we can't see Him moving, even when He's not doing His thing. Sometimes we need to trust in a God who's there even though we can't see Him. What's in the name? It's a moment, a moment of revelation, Emmanuel, a moment of revelation. But it's also a statement of faith. God is with us is not the same statement of faith that is the one that Isaiah made. Isaiah makes the statement of faith, with us, God. See, a statement of faith like God is with us, that's like a warrior statement that says, come on, you're going to see our God work on our behalf, right? It's a good statement of faith. Trust me, it's a good statement because we know we serve a God like that, don't we? We do serve a God who's, who's described in the Bible as the Lord of the angel armies. Ali's going to take over the sermon real shortly. <laughs> 
We serve a God who's the God of the angel armies, but we also serve this God, Emmanuel. And at Christmas time is the, is the time we remember this Jesus when he first arrived on earth is this God who is with us, this God with us, right? It's easy to say that God's with us when the, the walls of Jericho f- have just fallen down, the Red Sea just parts. But Isaiah didn't say that. God, Isaiah didn't live in one of the miracle seasons. Isaiah wasn't a prophet in Joshua's time. Isaiah wasn't the prophet who was with Moses. Isaiah was one of the priests in Israel's most apostate state. Isaiah was a prophet for a long time. He prophesied, or the group of prophets around him, prophesied for a long period as the nation of Israel fell apart. As they slowly were more, they, they were more regularly overrun by enemies. He's the prophet. He's making this statement. What was the first statement? A remnant shall remain. Now that's a great statement of faith, isn't it? It's not quite, we will be victorious. It's like, man, we're believing that even though it's all falling apart, a bunch of people are going to remain faithful. And in the middle, he's saying, with us, God, even though we can't see God working, even though we can't see God moving, we know he is here. We know his presence is with us, his people. Even though he could say the people all in the nation had turned away from this God, he could say, no, God hasn't turned away from us. Isaiah knew knew God by substance of his faith, not by his circumstance. Let me pick up my thought here. When it doesn't seem like God is fighting on our behalf, when the walls are standing, when sickness remains despite our prayers, you know that? When you think, oh, I'm going to really pray, and sickness remains. When pressure is building, you know, we can trust God. We can trust this Emmanuel, a God with us. He's with us in it. Do you know God's with us in it even when his plan is for us to walk through it? He's with us in it, even when it's our decisions that put us in it. He's with us in it. He's walking with us through it. He's a God who exists. He's a God who rewards those who seek Him. The question I want to ask you this morning, I, want, I think the Holy Spirit's challenging us to think about, is what statement of faith are we making? What are you calling your children? What are you saying about the, the product of your life? Now, you might not be having children after children after children and calling them a different crazy prophetic names. I'm not recommending that. But what do you call the things that flow out of your life? What do you say about your workplace? What do you say about your street and your neighborhood? What do you say about your friends and your friendship groups? What are you saying about your family? What are you naming your children? What are you saying about those kids? Are they far away from God? What are you saying about them? Are they pursuing the dreams that God's given them or not? What are you saying about them? Are you saying what you see? Because if Isaiah was just saying and making a statement about what he had seen, he would call his kids, we are falling apart. The nation is in ruin. We are about to be carried off as slaves by the Assyrians. Right? Because that was the circumstance. But what do you call your job? My job's just a dead-end job. Well, keep saying that and watch yourself hit the wall at the end of it. It's really difficult to be a first-time mum. Well, that's a good thing. Why would, you, why would you make that your statement? It might be the circumstance, but this Emmanuel God says we don't judge by the circumstance. We describe things and we name things prophetically based upon revelation. You don't need God to just point at stuff and go, that's crap, that's crap, this is hard, that's a challenge. 
Right? You just need eyes. Right? But you need God. Come on, we, first of all, we need revelation. If you've found yourself making statements that aren't statements of faith, they're just statements of circumstance, statements of fact, right? The problem is your statements, either verbal or by the way you live, those statements are shaping your reality. If you find yourself making statements that are not statements of faith, you've got to come back to revelation. What are you not seeing? What are you not seeing? You haven't seen Emmanuel. You haven't seen with us God. Yes, he's not always barking. He's not always running around. He's not always making himself perfectly obvious. Why? Because he wants faith to rise in your heart so that you would seek him. Why? Because he's always been a God of relationship. He's always been a God. When Isaiah coined this term, Emmanuel, he was unique among thinkers in his generation in Israel. He was unique among thinkers in all religion on the face of the earth at the time, particularly in the regions around where most of the, the developed religion was happening in the regions around Israel at the time. Every other God, every other deity was something other than Emmanuel. They were always distant. They were always angry. They were, if they came near, it was for judgment and it was for war. This is a God who just comes near. I don't know about you. I love the fact that we serve a God who is here. I love it when there's miracles. I love it when there's breakthrough. I love it when things are awesome. But I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by a God who would just be here. It's almost like God's here when he's not even rostered on him, church. It's not, I'm, he's, not even, he's, just, he's just here. He's not here to preach. God's in the car even when you're not praying. Do you, have you ever had those moments, some of my most precious moments of intimacy with God, are when I just realized he's here? Sometimes I pray hard, I do that, I read the Bible. Not like that. that that's conducting an orchestra in a flamboyant way. But, you know, but come on, we do, we do, we seek after God. But what about those moments when you just realize, or did you realize, or was it revealed by the Spirit of God that He is here? Come on, what statements are you making? Are you making statements of faith about the outflow of your life? You know, because these, these sons that Isaiah had, the statements that he put on them, these are the outflow of his life. Sons are a big deal in ancient Egypt, no, and, and probably Hebrew as well. Ancient, ancient Israel, these sons, because these were, the sons were the part of Isaiah that would be visible in the next generation. Isaiah didn't have like a whole YouTube channel that would still be there once he was dead. What he had was these sons that were going to keep saying whatever he said on them. That's why when we think about Jesus as the Son of God, He's, this, he's God who comes into our realm. Right? He's this projection of life. What's the projection of your life? What statements are over your... Come on, what do you say about your job? You, you, is, it, is it faith? What are you saying about your kids? However small, however big they are, however close they're to God, however far away from God they are. Come on, what you say about them will shape and change their reality and their experience. I believe it. Amen? Cool. Right, maybe have a think. What statement of faith do you need to start making today? Do you need to write it on a piece of paper? Do you need to stick it on the mirror and, and, when you're brushing your teeth and, and, and say it? Maybe wait till you finish brushing. Do you need to put, put a statement of faith on the dashboard of your car? Do you need to put a code of the statement of faith, like a code of the, on your computer at work, just a code of it, like the first letter, the second letter of each word or whatever? 
especially if your statement of faith is, I pray my boss gets fired, and no, no. maybe <laughs> that would be not a statement of faith. But come on, what, what, you know, because we can talk about making statements of faith, but I want to challenge you, from, from today, what statement of faith do you need to start making? Isaiah's was this one, Emmanuel. Well, what three words do you need to pull together in a strange construction to make a statement about what the outflow of your life is going to be? For me, one of the statements that I'm wanting to live by all the time is I'm here to develop young leaders. That's a statement of faith in my life. That's what I've been doing for the last 12 years. That's what my life is about. You might think, well, Jordan, I thought your job was to pastor the church. It sort of is, but my life can't be about pastoring the church because that's a lot of bullcrap, like chairs and details, right? But the reality is I'm not on the earth to do the chairs. I love doing the chairs, but I'm not here to do that. I'm here to see people like Esther raised up. I'm here to, to talk to people, to see people like Harris find out who they are in God. I'm here to encourage Wakash. I'm here to see young leaders rise up. Why? Because that's the statement of faith. Because that that's what's going to change New Zealand. Come on, what's the statement of faith you're going to put over the outflow of your life? You need to start making a change. So the question was, what's in a name? Emmanuel, it's a, it's a moment of revelation. It's a statement of faith, but it's also a life-changing attitude of assurance. Have a look at Hebrews 10.35. I want you to have a look at this verse. This is one of uh, Pastor Bruce's favorite verses. And it says, in the New Living, it says this, don't throw away your, this confident trust we have in the Lord. The old translations are nice. It just says, don't throw away your confidence. Our confidence is based on the Lord. So New Living translation, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Or don't throw away your confidence. It brings a great reward. It's a, it's a, it's a great little verse. It's a, it's a powerful context, but even as a little verse, it sings. Don't throw away your confidence. Which tells me this. If you're not feeling confident, you must have thrown it away somewhere. Like the car keys. They exist. Your confidence exists. Come on, don't, don't throw it away. Well, I'm finding it really hard to trust in God. Well, where did you, where did you put it? Come on, because the reward of your life comes out of your confident trust in God. Well, I'm sick of getting my hopes up. Well, you need to get back into getting used to getting your hopes up and being disappointed because that's what confident people do. Confident. <laughs> She's laughing now. Ha, ha, ha. Anyhow. <laughs> but seriously, the church I grew up in, any one of you, you guys would have jumped up there. <laughs> <laughs> Every uncle had a pair of jandals. Yeah, that's a simple point out of this verse, isn't it? Come on, if you're not confident, you're not feeling confident about what God's called you to do. Come on, come back to Revelation. You gotta you gotta seek God, you gotta hear God speak. Come, you're not feeling confident in your finances. You're not feeling confident in getting that first home. You're not feeling confident in finishing the degree and getting the job that God's calling you to. Come on, where's the confidence gone? Come on, find it again. You've got to come back to Revelation. Come back to some statements of faith because you've thrown it away somewhere. You've whittled it away. The disappointment devil has come and eaten up your confidence. Come on, we are a confident people. You can't believe that the power of the universe dwells in you in the Holy Spirit without being somewhat more confident than you were before. Right? If you're not confident, it's because you've forgotten or you've stopped believing or you've stopped making statements about the fact that God dwells inside of you. 
Come on, have we done that? Have you done that? Have you thrown away your confidence? If you're not feeling confident about the call of God on your life, about the plan of God for yourself and your family, His provision in your world, about His, His, His plan through all of what your, things like your career. Come on, your confidence in your career shouldn't come from your studies. Confidence, you know, promotion doesn't come from the north or the south. Emma didn't get the job, dream job just because she happened to know Dougal although I'm sure it helped. She didn't get the dream job just because she's the greatest student who's ever studied clinical psychology in the history of the world. They do. It's not because, just because of that, but the Bible teaches us and is explicit. Promotion doesn't come from the north or the south. It comes from the Lord. Come on, if you're thrown away your confidence, get it back. Think where you put it. Get a little bit frantic. Start throwing clothes around until it hits the wall and you know, there it is. Come on, there's this thing I want you to get a hold of. God with us. With us, God. He's a with us, God. He calls himself that. When he, when he was putting the whole world back together, he said, what will I introduce myself as? Ladies and gentlemen, in fighting in the red corner. With us, God. He could have called himself anything, creator God or powerful God. Baby born in the manger, he shall be called. With us, God. I reckon that's awesome. I reckon it's awesome. He's not distant God. Do you know, it's pretty easy to be distracted from this with us God, with a whole lot of other things making their presence felt. When God's not making its presence felt, other things are making their presence felt, aren't they? Financial pressure is with us. Isn't it? Financial pressure is with us. How long have people been under pressure financially? Do a little bit of reading about world history. As long as there's been people, they've been hungry. That's why they made tools. That's why they learned to farm animals. There's been pressure all along, right? But we either live with this financial pressure that is with us and is barking and is running around in the backyard, right? Without sickness, sickness is with us, isn't it? Sickness is with us, and, and we, we can bow to it or we can keep our focus on God with us. Hurts is with us, disappointment is with us, worry, shame, even meaninglessness, that sense of, which is that other wonderful December feeling. The who gives a damn about December, right? Because it all means nothing. Well, come on, if you're feeling like that, you've thrown away some confidence. Because we're supposed to live with this Emmanuel. See, this kid, Emmanuel, who gets named Emmanuel, either Isaiah's kid, some scholars say, or Jesus himself, he's called Emmanuel. It's not just a name that's given. Not just, it's not just this moment of revelation. It's not just a statement of faith. There's a way of living if that's your name. If, you, if, you, if, you, if your name is that every time someone addresses you, you're reminded of it. Every time you fill out another form for the ID, you're reminded of it, right? That's who you are. There's this assurance, this is attitude of living that I think we can step into, right? Even when God is in kicking all of our enemies over, He is with us. So what's in a name? Emmanuel, a with us God. Come on, where do you need a moment of revelation? Where do you need and what do you need to start making statements of faith about? If you, if you don't own a home, start making statements of faith about it. 
Start making those statements of faith. Start praying loudly. Start praying clearly. Whatever you ask for in prayer, Jesus said, whatever you ask for in prayer, believing in God, believe that you'll have it. Come on, let's start praying, amen? Come on, our unsaved friends, our unsaved family, our unsaved children, come on, let's start making statements of faith. Let's call people into salvation. Let's make statements of faith about our city. God, I, I, you know, Emma's not just a psychologist, clinical psychologist. She's, she's going to make statements of faith about this whole thing, psychology, right? You're not just an administrator somewhere in a workplace. Come on, what statements of faith are you going to make about what God wants to do in that workplace with the people that are there or with the whole industry? What could God do at Victoria University? What can God do in government departments? What can God do in high schools and universities? Come on, God wants to do something, but it's going to come out of our mouths as we make those statements of faith off the back of moments of revelation. And then how, do you carry, how are you carrying yourself? Because it's pretty easy to start in January with a bit of a shoulders back after a holiday. But come on, that's not what, that's not what Emmanuel is about. Emmanuel is about how do you carry yourself when everything is falling apart? Do you still have assurance with us, God? Easier said than done, isn't it? Or is it just as easily done? Is it just as easily to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in our heart? Uh, Pachi, do you want to come play the guitar? We'll pray just before we close up the service. You've got to love Christmas, don't you? I think, we, I think we're lucky living in a country that celebrates Christmas still. A, it's fun and it's colorful. You know, green and, green and red, great colors. Great co- Christmas color combination. Well, my, I, I only do blue and black. My, they're my only colors. But I, can, I still can appreciate red and green. But come on, we're not, we're not celebrating, a, you know, a pagan festival, we're not celebrating a shopping spree, we're not celebrating ham, although a festival for ham is still worthy, or pork products in general, bacon, ham, pork chops, what about big pork chops? Mm. You do, if you're going to do that, pork chops, you do really need a barbecue, though, they make a mess in the kitchen, do they? But we're not not celebrating, we are, are, because we're New Zealanders, so we're still celebrating a New Zealand Christmas. Are we? We're still in it. But in the middle of it, let's not just do that. Let's connect with a God who's with us. A God, not not just God who's with us, a God who calls himself with us, God. He names himself the sort of God who just likes to be there. Maybe close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to pray for you. Actually, let's stand to our feet. You guys have been sitting for too long already. I can see people glazing over. Lift your hands when you open your heart to the Holy Spirit. It'll be stupid to go away from from this morning without a moment of revelation. So just as Patti's playing, why don't you begin to lift your voice? I'm looking around the room. Maybe you can pray for yourself. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you to speak to us today. Lord God, I just pray right now, right across the room, Lord God, even, Lord God, for the kids' leaders and others, Lord, I pray today would be a day, Lord God, where we are reminded again, Lord God, where it's revealed to us again, where faith comes alive in our heart again, and we realize, Lord, that you are, Lord God, you are with us, God. 
you're here in this building. Lord God, you're in and amongst our lives. You're with us in our workplace. You're with us in our businesses, in our jobs. Lord God, you're with us in the struggle of family. Lord God, you're with us in the struggle of managing finance. Lord God, you're with us in the envision, Lord God, and hope, Lord God, as we reach out to see you do something great in our city. Lord God, you are with us in this city. And Lord God, I pray, Lord God, right across this room, Lord God, would you stir our hearts. Lord God, as we stir our hearts, Lord God, would you fill us again with faith, Lord God. Would you pour out upon us again, Lord God, revelation, Lord God, of who you are. Lord God, not just what you do, but who you are, your presence with us, your assurance of your presence, the assurance of your goodness. Lord God, would you remind us again the things we need to say, the statements that we need to make in Jesus' name. Just as everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, I really want to give people an opportunity to respond this morning. If you know you're either living without confidence or you're living with wrong statements coming out of your mouth, you're not saying the right things about God and you're not the right things about your circumstance. You're just saying the circumstance. I really believe that what you need, what God wants to do in you this morning is bring you a moment of revelation. So if that's you and you know and you're just wanting to respond and identify, I'm asking you to identify, that's me, that's where I'm at. Just want you to lift both your hands really high. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to work in your world. If you can say, yeah, this, that revelation is gone. The revelation is missing. That's what's missing in my world. I've forgotten about this God with me. Just shoot your hands up high. Holy Spirit, I'm just praying right now for those responding. And Lord God, they, they, they could feel all sorts of things about their circumstance, Lord God. But beside what they feel, aside from what they feel, Lord, right now, Holy Spirit, we just release your anointing, Lord God. Would you bring revelation into people's hearts again? Lord God, would you? I, I can just see a, a, a flame. And you know, the thing about the Holy Spirit revealed as a flame in Pentecost, a, a, a flame isn't a picture you can forget. It just begins to burn. And I just release you, Holy Spirit, would you burn again in this place. Lord, would the flame of your Spirit burn again in our hearts. Just say, God, burn in me. Just say it, God, burn in me. God, burn in me. Lord God, would you burn in our world. Lord God, would you burn up the dross of our lives. Lord God, would you burn up the disappointments. Lord God, would you burn up the distractions. Holy Spirit, would that flame of your presence burn in our hearts again. Come on, lift your voices right across this room. 